0: Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. We're glad you've joined us to listen to a message from our pastor, Ashley Ellison. We believe God's word is powerful and that it can be applied to our lives so that we may live victoriously. Let's join Pastor Ashley now as he shares the word with us. Well, I gotta tell you, I'm, I have really, really enjoyed what we have been doing uh, on the Wednesday nights, the last few weeks, I I, I don't know about you. I, I hope you've learned some things that maybe you've read through, but we spent some time on. You're like, wow, that was that was a neat fact. That's something I hadn't thought about. And and tonight I want to carry on with faith heroes, and I'm not going to speak specifically about um, one person. I'm going to speak specifically about several. And if you were here on Sunday, you heard me talking about Palm Sunday. And so we're going to start with, this is Easter week. I mean, the week before Easter, and a lot took place in the life of Jesus during this week, his last week on earth 2,000 years ago. And you know, one of the cool things about Jesus' life, Jesus changed all of history. And what is profound to me, that you only have 19 days recorded of his life in Scripture. You only got 19 days recorded, and he changed our, our time, the year of our Lord. I mean, it's 2023, and that was based on Jesus. Uh, from Palm Sunday to Resurrection morning, there's seven days there that have been the topic of thousands of sermons, countless debates, numerous books, films. These seven days have inspired the greatest painters, the most skilled architects, and the most gifted musicians. I mean, you just think about that. To try and calculate the cultural and historical impact of these seven days is is really impossible. And so I'm not going to do it in 30 days or in a short sermon on Sunday. And you've got to know that. But harder than even that would be an attempt to account for the lives of men and women who have been transformed based on what took place this Holy Week. And these seven days as they played out at the time of Jerusalem were of little significance in that day and time to anyone but a few people involved. Yet it impacted the whole world. Now, a few of these people I'll talk about tonight, but before I get to the three I really want to talk about, I've, I, I just have to tonight go through the week, just a couple of specific things about this week that had to do with what was going on in Jesus' life. And we're, this isn't really the study of the heroes, but this is what they were also knowing that had taken place. Sunday morning, we talked about on Sunday, Palm Sunday, and and we talked about the triumphant entrance into Jerusalem of Jesus and and what took place there, and I'm not going to re-preach that. You can go listen to that from Sunday if you weren't here. Monday, Monday, after Palm Sunday, Jesus at the temple. And if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 19. Let's start there. Verse 45 of Luke 19 says, Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple, But the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. You know, regardless of how many people try to put Jesus down, those that are still following hang on every word he said. And and, and that hasn't changed, but yet we've still got people trying to put him down. Jesus here on this first Monday after Palm Sunday, he walked into the Jerusalem temple and he found money changers and stalls of animals. Now, this was the great temple of Jerusalem, and it was the place very profound fact you may not have known this is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. So, the Ark of the Covenant is held there, which they and we understand was where the presence of God was, and so the temple authorities in the presence of God had been using the second commandment about no graven images. And and they were cheating the people by requiring them to change their Roman money to Jewish shekels. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Roman money had what they considered graven images on it, and they said, we got to get rid of that and get some of the Jewish shekels. And that sounded good to them, but Jesus knew that their intent was wrong. And so he came in, and he's like, okay, wait. You're making God's place, his dwelling place, a place for profit rather than prayer. Now, where does God dwell now? In the heart of man. And that we know that, we've got to make sure that we're not just entering into his presence on a day-in-day-out basis, in us, and making what we're doing to serve him just for our own profit. Do, Do you see the, as we're talking about this, you got to understand the significance of Monday. Now let's go on to Tuesday. Jesus taught in parables, well, back to Monday, you know what he did. He turned over everything and said, get out of here. So a lot of people sitting here thinking about Jesus like he's not someone who can go in and take demand of the situation. They didn't do anything to him. They just left. So obviously he showed some authority there. On Tuesday, Jesus taught in parables and he was warning the people against the religious authorities who had been cheating the people. And as we hear in the Gospel of John, Jesus also predicted the destruction of the great temple of Jerusalem. And here's what he said in John chapter 2, verse 19. He said, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. Now, he was setting up something very prophetic here, but he was also speaking in practicality. This enraged the Jewish religious authorities, and they started to plan for the crucifixion of Jesus. They saw him as a troublemaker and they asked him all kinds of questions, trying to trick him into saying things that would indicate he was a rebel and was really aiming to overthrow the Roman government because that's what they all saw him as doing anyway. But Jesus stayed real quiet here and gave, him no, gave them no real ability to get something on him. So they had no justification for his arrest. All right, let's go on to Wednesday. Now, I could talk a lot about different things still that day, but i have just giving you a few things because I think it's, we don't have time to be telling everything, but let's go to Wednesday. Wednesday, the fourth day from Palm. This is the day that Judas, who was going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, met with the religi- religious leaders, and he made the deal to identify Jesus, and he said, it'll be the one who might kiss. And everybody knows this part of the story that Judas betrayed him and I just think it's a really profound thing that a lot of people don't understand here the devil had really inhabited Judas to the point that we can now look back and see what was going on here now let me explain this because he had made a deal with them and if you remember it was 30 pieces of silver It's a very specific amount that it gives, and I want to give you the reason for that. See, the enemy was wanting to hold Jesus captive in a slave situation. Here's why the 30 pieces of silver are significant. That was the price that you paid for slave. So what they were doing was, is they were turning Jesus over to be a slave. Now, the devil was trying to get him a slave to him. You can go right back to all of the attempts that the enemy had to try to entrap Jesus. And once again, here's another attempt, and he's using Judas to try to do it. 30 pieces of silver was the going price for the purchase of a slave in that time. All right, Thursday, move to Thursday. In an upper room, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. Now, he gave it a new meaning And we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. I mean, what what we call that now, he's saying no longer will you followers, my followers or the followers of God. Remember the Exodus from Egypt when you're breaking a bread. See, the the Passover, it, it was symbolic for the New Testament and it was ritualistic in the Old Testament. So they would remember at this point, he set up a new remembrance. Here's what you need to remember his broken body, and shed blood in a meal, and it became known as the Last Supper. It became what we now look back at as explaining communion, and at the time, this is what's amazing to me, they still didn't get it. Jesus' followers are right there, and they didn't get it. Knowing what was going to transpire, Jesus was agonizing what was taking place, and he asked A couple of disciples to go and join him in prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane and to pray about what was going to be taking place. And you guys know that whole story. Once again, not getting into all that, but this all happened on Thursday. And it was during his praying in the garden that the Jewish officials and Roman soldiers come into the garden. Everybody following the story? Judas led the Jewish priest to the garden and identified Jesus by kissing him and addressing him as master. That's also where one of the disciples, Peter, cut off the ear, and Jesus healed it. You know, But this is the coolest part of that whole story. So let me just read this. John 18. I love this part here in verse 3. The leading priest and the Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. And Jesus said this. He goes, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, and Jesus said, I am he. And they all drew back, and what happened? They fell to the ground. Jesus did not get captured. He wasn't a slave. They all fell back. Don't you think for a second that he couldn't have just, at that time, wasted all of them? We need to give him the respect that he deserves. And right there, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, Hey, who are you looking for? I love that part. They're all laying there. I don't know if they've got up yet. Hey, by the way, who who are you looking for? Uh, Jesus. And you know when they said that, they're like, uh, G- Jesus. That that'd be me. Now leave these guys on. Yes, sir. Would you come with? Yes. And, you know, I mean, I just can imagine what took place at that point, and and they they. Jesus just, I think we don't give him the credit deserved, and I love that part of Scripture. Jesus foretold that he would not only be betrayed, but denied as well by his closest friends. The priests, Roman soldiers, took Jesus away, and they imprisoned him. Jump to Friday. Friday, the day known as Good Friday. Now, I just got to tell you, it's not good in the sense of meaning pleasant or fun. It's good, meaning holy and righteous. That's what makes Friday good, and it's good for us. It allows us holiness. It allows us righteousness. That's what's good about it. Jesus was abandoned by his disciples, suffered through a false trial in front of Pontius Pilate, and was condemned to death by the Jewish officials. And the Bible tells us that Pilate had been warned by a dream that his wife had, that Jesus was innocent of the charges made by the Jewish officials, but the crowd wanted blood, and so this is where Pilate washed his hands and symbolically removed him from the responsibility for what was about to occur. Everybody knows this part of the story, and I'm moving through it fast because I got to get to the heroes, and then we know that Jesus suffered on the cross, and he died. Now, I'm going to be talking more about that and in relation to the week on Sunday, but today, Obviously, Jesus is a hero of Easter. He's the hero of Easter. And I I want you to know the whole reason there's even another hero is because Jesus is the hero. He's the hero. But I want to give you a couple more to think about tonight as we're talking about heroes of Easter tonight. I, I, I just, a couple more mentioned in scripture that we don't teach or talk about a lot. And so I got three of them. Here's the first one. Simon from Cyrene. Now, Mark 15, verse 21. We're just doing some teaching on this tonight. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Now, Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Matthew, Mark, Luke all mention Simon as the man who carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha. Most criminals were forced to carry their own cross, but you remember Jesus in the story, he had been whipped um, with a, a whip that had some lead pieces in it that when they'd hit the skin, it'd tear his skin. And, and I mean, it was not a good thing. And, and, and apparently, he was too weak from what he had went through for us, for our healing. What he had went through, he, he was too weak to carry it, and Simon was jerked from the crowd and forced to help. Now, that's really cool. Well, he was forced to. Let me, let me just tell you what some scholars say and give you some biblical background as to what happened here. Simon, scholars say, had came to worship in Jerusalem for Passover. Now, here's how they came about figuring this all out. Many Jews lived in Cyrene. And they would come to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now think about this. Simon carried the cross that would eventually be the symbol that signifies what Jesus did to carry him and us into eternity and to have the abundant life here on earth that was promised. So I I just want you to get the word carry. He carried what was going to carry what was going to save us. I call that a hero. Acts 2 verse 10, here's the, the background. It talks about the people that were some of the first to place their faith in Jesus at Pentecost and included there was people from Cyrene. Many scholars will say that Simon was a part of this. He had witnessed the whole thing, he'd carried the cross, he saw the whole thing take place and he's from a town that the Bible specifically mentions had God people coming from or God followers, Jews, and the scripture that we read in Mark mentions Rufus, which was his son, and in Romans, Paul makes a connection to Rufus that he is... Somebody that he looked up to and even really affirmed, well, let's read it, Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Now, how cool is that? I don't know if you've ever made the connection, but Simon is from Cyrene. Simon's son is Rufus, who then lives, and Paul refers to later, as Rufus's mom, which would have been Simon's wife, was a mother to Paul. Now, I, I know that most of you are Bible scholars and you knew all of that, but if you didn't, there's some neat information. Because a lot of times you just don't, you never think about these things. And as we're talking about faith heroes, I want to bring out some things that I go, man, this guy, yeah, he was yanked from the crowd, but I don't think he was yanked because he didn't want to. He was yanked from the crowd and saying, yes, I will do whatever I can do for my Lord. I'll do whatever I can do for Jesus. I'm going to do whatever. And if that means carrying his cross, that's what I'm going to do. The second hero I want to talk about tonight is Joseph of Arimathea. Let's just read Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. But he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. A couple things this scripture says. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a just man in some translations. His name meant adding His name meant adding. You say, well, what's that have to do with anything? That was his activity. He was adding whatever was needed. He was always adding. And what was needed was somebody from the Sanhedrin, from the Jewish council, to see Jesus the way he saw him. And so he knew when Jesus had been killed that they had actually killed Jesus. God's son. He knew that. Why do you know that? Because it says he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, what is so cool about this is the word waiting is a really big word in Scripture. He was waiting for the outcome or he was waiting for the addition. His name meant adding, and then it says he was waiting. What was he waiting for? He was waiting for what God was going to add to his people. And I mean, this guy, the, the Bible describes him as a respected member of the council. I love it. Now, this is just me. When somebody is a respected member of society and stands up for Jesus... And that's what I love about Christian Ministries Church because I look around, we got a lot of respected people in here in your area of influence. Praise God for you. Don't bow down when the culture starts wanting you to. Don't join in with the majority. Join in with what God is doing. And that's what he did. Mark 15, verse 43, Joseph had not consented to their decision and their actions to arrest And prosecute Jesus. Many, many scholars, and I I believe this, was that he, during the time of Jesus here, was a secret follower. Him and Nicodemus were kind of on the same page of seeing that something's wrong here with the way that culture was treating him. Something's wrong here. Joseph demonstrated great courage after Christ's death. And here's what I want you to see he risked the ridicule of his peers. Endangerment of his wealth, expulsion from the council, he boldly petitioned Pilate for Christ's body, he purchased a linen shroud, which they consider to be highly costly, he took Jesus' body from the cross and transported it to his own tomb. Now, there at the tomb, he and Nicodemus quickly anointed the body with burial spices placed it in his tomb and he did that because the Sabbath was nearing and they had 24 hours to make that happen before the Sabbath and they needed it done. So Joseph goes down, in my mind, as the cast of characters of a man who voted his conscience, he used his influence for good and courageously stepped up to do the right thing no matter what it was going to cost him. Now, as we look at the life of heroes, before Jesus' resurrection, Joseph of Arimathea was one of them. He was one of them. He was waiting on the king. He was was waiting on the spiritual king, not just the one that was going to free him from Rome. Kind of cool. The word waiting in Scripture, I kind of like this. it it translates waiting in order to welcome. Waiting in order to welcome, which once again gives you what he was doing when he realized that the king had died and he wanted him welcomed to his new place. Now, did he know he was going to rise again? I, I don't know all the details of that, and Scripture doesn't allude to it, but he believed that he was something other than what culture said he was. Are, are you hearing that? Number three, and the last ones I want to talk about, is the women who went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Luke 24, 1, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. Saturday evening, Mark 16 Verse 1 says, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and it's the little James, not James the disciple, and I'm just going to leave it at that right now. I don't want to get into all the details. This is also Mary, the sister of Mary, that was Jesus' mom. There's a whole lot of different things that kind of, there's a bunch of Marys. Salome. Mary the mother of James and Siloam went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. So a group of women went out, and this is what I want you to see. They went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Now, I've got to stop there for a second. Isn't that what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus just did? Yes. So when I was reading it, I thought, well, there are two men and the women wanted to go down and get get it right because they had, I'm, I'm just, that was all Ashley. That's not what happened. Nicodemus and Joseph, Joseph had anointed the body with burial spices. I know that a lot of scholars had a lot of different interpretations of this. And as I was studying it, one commentary said um, that, Interestingly, the anointing spices that the woman brought to the tomb were meant to be poured over a dead body to counteract the odor of decay and served as a symbolic expression of loving devotion. And so whatever spices they brought was still spices, but it was used out of love and adoration for Jesus. They all had a specific reason that they had to go. They had to go. I didn't have an option. I had to go. That was what they were thinking. I have to go. And so they went out together. I got to go. Well, I do too. Yeah, me too. And so they all got together. I mean, Mary Magdalene, Jesus had, had cast seven demons out of her. She, she was someone that Jesus had profoundly impacted in their life. I have to go. I have to go. I got to go down there and do out of a loving devotion. And I think the spices they got were to stop as much of the decay as they could. And they went down there still not knowing, but they loved Jesus and they wanted to go down there. Now, the more I read about this, I thought these ladies were really heroes because it was women that were the first to see the empty tomb. And it could have been for a very special reason. The more I read about this, I got to talk about this tonight. See, there was a lie that was distributed all through Jerusalem that men stole Jesus' body. In fact, when Matthew was writing his gospel 50 years after that, 50 years after, he was writing this gospel, and this lie was still being distributed. Now, all of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say that it was women that were there. Here's what I can tell you. If they were trying to fabricate a lie, they would have never said women went to the tomb because women's testimony was not accounted for in this day and age. They wouldn't listen to anything they said. So why would they write that in there if they're writing a lie? They would have, if they're going to lie, let's just go ahead and tell it so people will believe it. That gives more acclaim to the whole story than anything. The credibility of an empty tomb, and there's so much, and I've taught this for years in apologetics, and I'm not even going to get into this tonight because we only have a couple minutes left, but what they did and what was recorded in history is significant. They heard what they needed to go and proclaim to the world. They didn't just hear it, they experienced it. They experienced it. They were going, let's read John 20, verse 11. This lot here. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped, stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave. And saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, just tell me where where you've put him. I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni which is Hebrew for teacher, Jesus said, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And real quick, I'm going to get cold chills when I read that, because here's the thing. She encountered Jesus first. After he had come out of the tomb, he was right there I don't know if it had just been a few minutes before they walked up. Scriptures say that the women were talking and saying, okay, how are we going to get this stone out of the way? What are we going to do when we get there? The women are all talking about it. And then they get there and the stone's rolled away and he's not there. And what's going on? And I don't understand this. And I mean, it says she took off and went and, and well, let's keep reading. Pretty cool. Mary Magdalene, in verse 18, found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And you're supposed to know about it. Mary was the first to see Jesus. And when you read the story of Jesus, there's the faith hero in the story. Obviously, the biggest hero we have is Jesus. But when you read about these three people, it just brings the story to a whole new place. And all three of them are significant for our life. Because we have to understand what they did, we need to do. We give ourselves, regardless of what circumstance we're in, to what Jesus asked us to give to. And I'm not talking financially. I'm talking in action, in deed, in every area of life, in words spoke, how we operate. We operate the way Jesus asked us to. I love that Simon said yes to carrying the cross. Would you carry whatever Jesus needs you to carry so that he can be furthered in this world? That's what Simon did. Very, very important. Joseph, what Joseph do? Joseph said, everything I got yours, and I don't care what anybody else says, I'm voting for you. I don't ever go to a voting booth that I don't think, how would Jesus want me voting? I'm going to vote to further him. And if it furthers his cause, I'm in. I don't know what the world has to say. I know exactly what the world has to say because I know that the culture is oftentimes different than what Jesus It was different then and it's different now. He needs some followers that will stand up. Praise God, we've got a lot of you here that do that. You're a Joseph of Arimathea. And then he needs some women and men that will take care of whatever's needed that no one else is doing. They went down and they're doing it because they love him. Too many Christians are only Christians out of obligation. And a lot of times in our immaturity, in our early years of giving our heart and life to Jesus, we do it for our benefit. We do it so that we can stay in in our mind or so that we're making other people happy. But these women weren't concerned about that. They were doing it because of a love and devotion for Christ. These are true heroes of the faith as I read them. In scripture. And I pray that that spoke to someone tonight. Maybe you learned something you didn't know, or it just expanded what you already knew according to the Word of God. Thank you for being here tonight. Will y'all stand with me this evening? I think it's really important in Scripture for you to see ordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's very important. When you read the Bible, oftentimes we just see the people as extraordinary. But they're ordinary people, just like you and I, doing extraordinary things. And we can do the same as we look at these heroes of faith and make the application of what I've got to do. I hope this story tomorrow, we really should have preached this Monday night before we voted yesterday. I mean, but here's the thing. I believe that we've got a heart full of people that are Simons, that are Josephs, and that are the women who love the Lord. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.